On this uh, Lord's Day, August 22nd, I also have a special time of prayer for the people of Afghanistan as they go through this very difficult, difficult time. The, this, the book of Psalms is God's prayer book. It's a great place to go to know how to pray and when to pray and the tenor of prayer. But this morning I was reading Psalm 52. So I was thinking about the dire situation in Afghanistan. It says in verse 1, Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all day. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent, and he will uproot you from the land of the living. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it, and I will wait upon your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So let's just go to the Lord and pray now. Lord, we come to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we pray for the suffering people of Afghanistan today. We pray, Lord, that you would frustrate the plans of evil men who think that pillaging and murder Subjecting people to torturous rules and regulations is serving Allah. That you would frustrate their plans. That you, Lord, would have mercy upon people who are caught in the vortex of pain and suffering. That you, Lord, would protect the tiny church of Jesus in Afghanistan. Protect the believers. Give them the grace to speak with dignity and resolve. Give them confidence to trust you. I pray that they would be able to say even this day, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord as they wait upon you. So grow and prosper your church. Protect your church. Speak grace to those leaders who are now part of the jihadist movement or the Taliban. Give wisdom to leaders who speak into this situation for President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin, that that you would give them wisdom and surround them with wise people. So, Lord, we, we plead for mercy. We plead for your hand of protection. And show us how to pray aright and to trust you to do this. We, we look to you. We wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a fantasy book entitled The Silver Chair, part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Silver Chair, it's a, this fantasy about a mythical kingdom called Narnia, there is a lovable character introduced by the name of Puddleglum, one of my favorite characters. Puddleglum is a kind of web-footed creature who is always seeing things on the downside of life, but he's also a person of great bravery. But Puddleglum is a companion of two children of Adam who've come into Narnia from our world, 
and a wicked witch who has disguised herself as a benevolent queen is whispering things to them. She's saying things like, there is no other world. There is no Narnia. There is no Aslan, the great cat that represents Jesus Christ. There is no eternity. There's nothing to live for. It's only what you can see and hear and touch. And they're slowly being seduced by this wicked spell and these words. And they're about to give in. And Puddleglum, with his last resolve, takes a webbed foot and sticks it into the queen's fire and starts stamping it out. And he says something like this. I will live as a Narnian. I will trust Christ. And as he speaks with bravery, or I will trust Aslan, as he speaks with bravery, the spell is broken in his mind and in the minds of the two children. And they see the queen as really the wicked witch. And they, she turns into a wicked witch. And then she turns into a snake. And they pull their swords and lop off its head. And they win the day. A good ending. But as I read that, I thought, you know, when we get together and we worship on the Lord's Day and we open the Scripture or we open the Bible from day to day in the privacy of our homes or devotional experience, we are really asking the Holy Spirit to break the spell of the world on us that says there's no eternity, there's nothing to live for, there's nothing to die for. And so we are really like puddle glum today saying, I will live with courage and dignity. I will live trusting the great name of Christ. So as we, as we come to this book of Jude and ask the Lord to break the spell in our own lives, let me talk about four values that we are holding before us that we can think about in a small group or over lunch and draw on a napkin. And the four values are these. We, were, we are people who walk under the authority of the Bible. We believe the Scripture. We are people who emphasize and believe in the family as God has defined it and the family of God. We are people who serve others in the name of Christ, and we want to be in the process always of making disciples among ourselves and the coming generations. So today I'm going to talk to you about this whole issue of serving. We serve others in the name of Christ. There is a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Where the Apostle Paul says, we don't twist the Word of God and we don't make it palatable. We don't make it uh, culturally acceptable. We just speak the truth and we speak the truth in the name of Christ. But he says this, it's a startling statement. But, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, we live and we speak in such a way that we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's an incredible statement. And so then he says later in verse 5, just two verses down, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So I look at this and I say, we serve others around us by living in the way of Christ and speaking the truth of Christ as men and women who are followers of, of the Lord. So one way we serve is that we live the truth and we graciously speak the truth. And we come to this book of Jude, and, and Jude is, uh, we're going to come to verse 22, one short verse today. Listen to this verse, verse 
22 of Jude says this, and have mercy on those who doubt. That's it. Have mercy on those who are wavering. Now, the, the background to Jude is that, I see this paradigm in Jude. I've studied this little book, one chapter. You start off, step one is you are refreshed in the Lord. He says in the very first two verses, he says, you are eternally loved by God the Father. You're called, you're eternally loved by God the Father, and you're kept by Jesus Christ. And he says, mercy, grace, and peace have been multiplied in your life. Not added on, but multiplied. So, so you're refreshed in who you are in Christ. Next step is you develop convictional attitudes. The next verse says, we have been given a faith that's once and for all delivered to the saints. It's, it's it. We have a faith that's once and for all delivered to the saints. Step three is you address situations. Well, the situation in the book of Jude is a very difficult situation. Some people have, he says, have crept in through the side door. They've professed the name of Christ, but they really aren't following Christ. And he says they feast with you at the Lord's Supper table, but they are, they are really hidden reefs. And they're, 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 they're waterless clouds. They, they can't deliver. They're destructive. They destroy your life. And he says, these people that teach a sexual libertinism and, and sensuality do not have the mind of Christ. So, so you, you're refreshed, you are convictional, you develop, you address situations. Any situation, though. It could be a marriage, it could be a difficult child, it could be a difficult relationship, anything. So, so, but you're refreshed, your conviction, you have a situation, and then you're refreshed again. He goes back and he says, you know, listen. He says, I want to remind you to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. And he says, you do that by praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, knowing the gospel, and waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. So you're refreshed, and then you speak. Honestly, refreshed, conviction, understand the situation, refreshed again, and then speak. What happens all too often is that we speak into a very difficult situation without being refreshed and reminded of the glory and goodness of Jesus. I guess it's in trouble. So this is what, so he says, after you're refreshed, after you have these convictions, after you see the situation that is dour, after you're refreshed again, he says, this I say to you, be merciful to those who doubt. There are people that are being, you know, seduced by this argument. Don't, don't rain fire on them. Be merciful to them. And so my whole plea this morning is I think about this is this, brothers and sisters, let us be merciful people, which means we are patient, we're filled with kindness, we, under, we, we seek to understand, and we seek to be empathetic. Now, when you hit our culture today, you, any situation, but, but you see a situation, and to me there's, we have these extremes. So you hit, you hit a situation, it's different, it goes against what you've been taught. And so a lot of people just kind of throw their arms in resignation. And they say a, a word that I'm really growing tired of, which is whatever, you know, whatever. You know, I like some of the buzzwords today, and um, I'll apologize to somebody, and they'll say, oh, you're good. I like that. Oh, you're good. Oh, thanks. I like, I like to hear it. I'm good. Okay. Whatever. Or you hear the same people say, well, just get used to it. It's the new normal. Every time I hear the word new normal, my skin starts 
quaking. I start quaking. Now, if the new normal is going against this, it's not the new normal. It's the old immoral, probably from the pit of hell. So, so the new normal really bothers me. So you have people that are just kind of resigned. To, but on the other extreme, and this is where I struggle at times, you just get angry. You just get angry. You just go, I, I, can't, I can't believe what people are saying. I cannot believe they're teaching that. I cannot believe they're doing that. So, so you become angry, and unless the gospel tames you down, you just, you just escalate. Or the, the, twin, the twin sister of anger is you just drop out. You just say, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm going to buy 20 acres in Clarendon County and put a fence around it and put, uh, you know, sensors on it. And I'm going to live there with my kids and my grandkids. And we're just going to hunker down and do that and go out occasionally to get food for a month and come back. That's not biblical. problem. Jesus says, as my father has sent me, so send I you. We're supposed to go into the culture. So, so over here is the, is the balance that is being aware being people of conviction and courage, but be merciful. So this week I was traveling back from the West Coast, and I was in, I was in a, twice in 12 hours. I, I saw a very attractive young woman uh, one time, same, about 20, both of them were 20 to 25, I think. And they, they had, they were in public. One was in the L.A. airport. The other was at a, believe it or not, a retreat center. And they had a, a graphic word on their shirt that was just offensive. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. I, I really wanted to ask. The one girl in the LA airport knew have these lines that are snakish. So I went by her about five times. And I really wanted to lean over and say, I just want to ask you, what compelled you to put that on your shirt. You're an attractive young woman. I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm not, I'm not trying, here's my wife, I'm not hitting on you. You know, what, what, why? And I was angry. But as I stood there and thought, both times I thought, where's the mercy? It, it was very disturbing. Where, where's the mercy? So I'm, I'm saying instead of being angry, be convictional, but be merciful. Have, have mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt and who are struggling. There's a man who wrote a book on Jonathan Edwards. I read the book recently, and, and he said this. He said that gentleness or mercy is perhaps the most neglected virtue among Christians today. I'm not saying he's right. But if he's close to right, we need to think about this issue of, of, of mercy, which means, again, to be patient and kind and empathetic. And to seek to understand other people as you walk out and live your convictions. Now, let me, let me make a clear distinction now. There are gifts that people have that aren't broadcast to everyone. For example, if the elders are meeting in two weeks and they said, we want to have a sing fest for the next 15 weeks, we want to randomly pick people from our church membership role to sing solos on Sunday morning, just randomly. That would be a what? Bad idea. I mean, really bad idea. There are certain people here you don't want. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we make joyful noises, but they're not always melodious noises to the Lord. 
If, if we said, well, we're going to have our annual audit in a few couple months, and we need to just pick eight people at random to look at our books and put everything together so that we would be ready for our annual audit. We're just going to do this. That would be a what? It's a bad idea. See, people have different gifts. There's a difference, though, in the Scripture between the gifts that God gives and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is a composite of who Jesus is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, kindness and gentleness are synonyms of mercy. My, my point is, you, you cannot say, pick anyone. You can't say, well, you know, I know that's the fruit of the Spirit, but quite frankly, I'm not real good in self-control. I just, a couple times a week, I just blow up, if we just say to a, a cashier, or somebody in the office, or somebody at home, I just blow up and say words that probably I shouldn't say, but that's just, just who I am. I am just kind of an angry guy. Get, get used to it. You can't, you can't, you can't say that. You've got to get it in your face before God and say, God, you say the self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Build that in my life. You know, Proverbs 16 says, he who rules the spirit is better than the mighty, and he who curbs his anger is greater than a man who captures a city. Self-control. Or you may say, well, you know, love and joy. Uh, I, I'm, just not, I'm just not a happy person. Uh, I, I'm, I'm surrounded by people whose the glass is always halfway full. I am a realist. Somebody's got to hold the line here. So I'm going to tell you exactly what's wrong all the time. Well, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord. You know who you are in Christ. You rejoice. Love, joy, peace. I mean, so, so, so God has called you, if you're a believer in Jesus, to be a person of gentleness and kindness and patience. That's a composite of being merciful. So, so the, the whole issue is, is just be merciful. Or the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Over their, they're broken over their sin. And then blessed are the meek. Just, I was reading a book this week on, on how to finish well. A chapter on how to finish well. And he gave some, the writer gave several key elements in finishing well as he's observed life. And he says you know, one key element is that people who finish well and who know Jesus ooze humility. I love that statement. Ooze humility. See, you see, poor in spirit, mourn, the meek. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. There you go. Merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of of God. So I was looking at that and I go, well, you know, hang on to thirst for righteousness, see God, and as you see God, you're merciful. And as you're merciful, you enter into a situation with the Spirit of God and you are a peacemaker. You bring peace, you're not disruptive. You speak truth with kindness and brokenness, but you're not disruptive. And I just say, listen, be merciful, relish mercy. Relish kindness. The way we serve people, church, in part, is that we live the truth and speak the truth 
in such a way that we speak the reality of Christ. And part of that is we speak with mercy. So I'm going to give you three or four keys on how to develop a merciful spirit from the Scripture. Point number one. As we are aware of who we are in Christ and the mercy he's poured into our life, we will be merciful people. And I'm going to make a couple of points here. I'm not going to get involved in uh, semi-Pelagianism versus Augustinianism or hyper or whatever. I, I just want to read the Bible. So in Genesis, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. It says that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So God has lavished his love upon us. Chapter 2, well-known passage, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The unmerited grace dumped into our lives. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's nothing you have done. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can ever boast. So we are recipients of grace. We've been saved by the grace of God. Titus chapter 3 says this. says, verse 3, for we ourselves were once... Listen, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various impulses and passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's why some of us were, especially if we came to faith in Christ later. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So to me, if I'm going to be merciful, I've got to drink from the fountain of the freely given, lavish love of God in Christ poured upon me. Number two, if I'm going to be merciful, I've got to understand that God opens eyes. It's only the mercy of God. See, what happens? The gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit intersects with the Word of God. God opens eyes. But that can be done all day long. Unless that happens, nothing happens. So the gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit opens eyes. There's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that says this. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. It says this. This is the ESV. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what this passage is saying is this, is that as we relate to people, and as we must be gentle, gracious, able to teach, patient when wronged, asking God 
to give people the repentance and they can escape from the trap of the devil. The gospel frees us from the trap as the Holy Spirit applies us. But only God opens eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus in the face of Christ. So, God opens eyes. There's a little letter in here from a guy named John Newton who wrote to him Amazing Grace. This one paragraph of letter I put, let me just read it. It says this. Of all people involved in controversy, we who understand the unmerited grace of God, believers, are most expressly bound by our own principles to the exercise of gentleness and moderation. If indeed they who differ from us have the power of changing themselves spiritually, if they can open their own eyes and soften their own hearts, then we might, with less inconsistency, be offended at their obstinacy. But if we believe the very contrary to this, our part is not to strive but in meekness to instruct those who oppose us. He says, you know, if we can argue people into the kingdom, but if God opens eyes, then we must be people who with meekness and gentleness, speak the reality of Christ to them. I'm just saying, be merciful. Be kind. Don't be angry. Don't resign to the status quo. Be people of courage. Speak the truth in love. The third thing about mercy is this. This is kind of an add-on. If I am going to be a person of mercy, I must constantly be aware of the daily goodness of God to me. I pray, you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, uh, this week, looking at some of the the, the footage in, in the early service we had a little baby dedicated Eliza Eliza's parents were here grandparents were here, it was a day of celebration and I thought about the video I saw the, of, of someone hope, lifting up a little baby in Kabul and a U.S. Marine reaching down and taking the baby and pulling it to safety I thought about the footage of people hanging on to aircraft trying to escape and falling to their death. I thought of the footage I saw yesterday, this morning from the BBC of, of women who have been beaten in the streets, beaten for, for nothing. Women who have been put to death for not wearing a burqa. And I woke up this morning before the sun came up. I turned on a light. I heated up some water for my tea. I was in air conditioning. Opened up a fridge, eggs and toast. Got in the car, came here, and there were 
red lights and green lights, and people stopped on red and went on green. There was orderliness. I came into this building. There's air conditioning because there's an electric grid around us that supports air conditioning on August the 22nd. Thanks be to God. I have the ability to go home today, be with friends. Why? God's been merciful to us. Don't ever forget it. See, thanksgiving leads to a merciful spirit. I mean, riddle thanksgiving. Now, I, why, why are you here instead of Afghanistan? Why, why are you here instead of a country like Haiti that's been bedeviled by superstition and demonic activities for centuries now? We have an incredible debt. I was working on this passage, and I thought about Thanksgiving. I remember something that happened to me years ago. It was 25 years ago or more. 25 years or more ago, we were helping start churches in a city called Kiev in the Ukraine. It's shortly after the wall came down, and, and so we're working with the association to start churches, and I went there with a man who's sitting over here this morning in the early service to represent our church, and we were meeting with church leaders, and, and, and this is November, but it was the coldest November in the history of the Ukraine. I was freezing, and Russia is always playing games with the Ukraine then and now, and they had cut off the oil supply to Ukraine. Most of the buildings were not heated. They had cut off some of the food supplies. You go into the grocery market, maybe one-eighth of the shelves had food in them. And I'm, 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 I'm there, and I'm right across Kiev, and we're at a stoplight. It's a long stoplight, and there's a long line here. And I asked the two young men who were leading us around. I said, oh, what's that line for? He said, they are standing in line to get a loaf of bread. And for some reason, my attention was drawn to a gentleman who was standing there with his, uh, he was impeccably dressed. He had on one of those incredibly beautiful Kiev hats with his fur, coat, starch shirt, tie, handsome briefcase. And I thought to myself, he knows at least three languages, and he did. I promise you he did. He has received a very good education. He's a man of accomplishment. And he's standing in line to get a loaf of bread. And I looked at me. I did a self-inventory. I said, here I sit. Here I sit. My granddaddy on my father's, my, my maternal paternal granddaddy was a tenant farmer, deputy sheriff in North Carolina, who lived in the basement of the county jail for seven years with his wife and three children as he took care of prisoners and his wife cooked for the prisoners and washed and ironed their clothing. And he was glad to do it. He went to the third grade. I'm not sure he got out of the third grade, but he went to the third grade. My granddaddy. I was raised in a home, a lower middle class home. Our, our vacation every year was going to Myrtle Beach for a week and camping at Lakeland Campground. Before going to Myrtle Beach was cool. I had a wonderful mom and dad who loved me. Now, why am I sitting there with whatever I have compared to him? Listen, God's been good. Don't ever forget you live in the land of opportunity. Don't ever forget that you have received incredible blessings because people have lived with integrity before you got here. 
That's one of my greatest concerns about today, that young people are being told you're oppressed, you're an oppressor, whatever. No, no this is a land of opportunity, and I'm glad for it. So, so, that leads to thanksgiving, which I believe leads to mercy. So I want to have a mercy towards local people who've lived in systems where they aren't loved and cared for, and I want to enter into that in the name of Jesus and care for them. I want to enter into systems internationally where we can speak the mercy of Jesus. And I'm saying to you, be merciful people. Be merciful. And the, the fourth way to develop mercy is to Help broken people to treasure Jesus. If I really treasure Jesus, I will be a person, I believe, of mercy. In the book of Colossians, there, the book of Colossians addresses a weird multi-headed heresy that's involved either with extreme legalism or extreme sensuality. It, it was, they were all over the board. And, but he says in Colossians 2, how do you address these things? And this is what Paul writes. Listen, this is so good. He says... He says, I, uh, I, 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 I'm struggling for you. I remind you that in Christ, who is God's mystery, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with, listen, plausible arguments. The way the ESV translates this word. It, it really means probable arguments that may have some reason and ability. He says all of these arguments about you, you get into God's favor by extreme denial or since the body counts for nothing, do what you will. He says if you begin at those places, they're plausible arguments. He says, but when you expose these things to the truth of Christ, they crash a thousand times. So, so, so how, how do you walk in mercy? You expose everything to the beauty and majesty and goodness of Christ. Verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, I... Help broken people, it's me, it's you, treasure Jesus. You, you bring everything under the microscope of the reality of Christ and his word. And it breaks the spell and you walk in, in mercy. Be merciful. Everybody, everyone here, I mean everyone here, Everyone here, I promise you, has a sibling, a child, maybe a spouse, a coworker, a neighbor that is sandpaper to your spirit. They drive you crazy. You avoid them. You don't go, listen. This week, that person that God just brought to mind, express mercy to them. This week, go to the exhortation of Jude 22, show mercy to those who doubt or who aren't there. Two weeks, fully unpack that, those two verses, but be merciful, be merciful. In, in, in an age that doesn't value mercy, be mercy. Merciful, be, be gentle. 
Be patient. Be kind. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled to think about the situation that Jude addressed where there were people who were infiltrating the church and trumpeting horrendous sensual doctrines that denied the reality of Christ. And, and even in the midst of that heartbreaking sea of turmoil, the scripture says, be merciful to those who doubt, to those who waver. I pray we'd be merciful to those who waver, who are inconsistent to our children and our brothers and our sisters or maybe our parents, our neighbors. Just be merciful. May we be known as people of mercy and kindness in an age that doesn't value that at all. I pray we would not be angry or that we would not resign ourselves to a, quote, new normal, close quote, but that we would walk with conviction and tenderness and mercy. So lead on, great king, and even the people that have come to mind. I pray that we would respond in mercy to people this week. This week, we've grabbed the opportunity this week and do it. In Jesus' name, amen.